Hey everyone, so welcome back to My Own Pathways podcast. So in this episode, I have a very special guest and it is going to be one of the first interviews that I'm going to be doing. So if anything, before we get into it, don't forget to like, follow, share, and follow our social media platforms. And if anything, we hope you enjoy this episode. So my guest that I have here, her name is Diane, and I'm going to allow her just to kind of talk a little bit about herself and then from there go through some of the questions. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Diane. Um, I grew up on the <clears throat> Navajo Reservation. I um, went to school on the Navajo Reservation, and I basically just grew up in the Winter Rock area only, uh, Chinle area. Um, that's also on the Navajo Reservation. My mom is from the Chinle Canyon de Shea area. My dad was from Wheatfields. That's like the higher uh, mountain area between Chinle and Winter Rock. Uh, his parents grew up there. Um, they raised us there in Winter Rock. We went to the elementary school and then on to high school. But um, most of my time was spent yeah, on the Navajo Reservation. I never really got off the reservation except for the time my dad went, went and took us on vacation to um, California. And that was it. And the other time was after I got married, I lived in um, Fort, well, Fort Carson, near Colorado Springs, Colorado, when uh, my husband was stationed there, my kid's dad. But other than that, um, I grew up in that area, and now I'm remarried, and I live on the Acoma Reservation. So, basically, <laughs> that's what I, that's who I am. <laughs> and for those of you listening, the reason why I have Diane uh, as, as someone that I want to interview is because of her story and some of the things that she has gone through. And the main thing with this podcast is talking about people's struggles where they were, how they got out of it, and some of the things with Diane, as far as with how she grew up, that's one of the main things that I really want to discuss. And also kind of going through some of these questions that I've been able to kind of gather, and then also just giving her perspective, and also, in a way, telling her story. So Diane, I know you said that you grew up on the reservation. Can you tell everyone listening what the reservation is, especially in Navajo? Mm. Well, I can only speak for the Navajo Reservation. Um, it's it's right on the borderline of New Mexico and Arizona, where I live. And the, the area that I live, Winder Rock, is called Winder Rock because there is a big hole in the wall and it looks like a window. And when we were small, we used to climb up there and we get in trouble for doing stuff like that. You know, when you're small, you don't care. You just want to get wherever you're going. But we didn't see the danger of it. Um, it's, it's a remote area, but it's growing, you know, there's, there's like small things there on the reservation that we thought were really, wow, we're getting a, 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 a store here that's going to sell this and that. And 
I know in the cities, they're, they're already there, you know, and they're not, you're not really like in awe about a lot of things that are around you. But when you live where we live, on the reservations, um, those are big things for us. It's kind of hard to describe, um, especially if you've never really been there. And I don't want to say anything bad um, or good. I just want to just give you my perspective, you know, growing up. Um, I think growing up on the reservation was safe for a lot of us because we could just walk down to the from our home, you know, and go to the local shopping center and and we didn't have to worry about anybody trying to kidnap us or anything or we didn't have to worry about being run over because we could you know just there was a trail that we used to go and we'd go like well I had four sisters and one brother and we would walk down not all of us but some of mostly the girls we'd walk down and just buy whatever we wanted and then we'd go back home if not then we'd climb the rocks that were behind us where we lived because both of my parents worked and they were hardly ever home, but my, my grandparents were the ones that stayed and watched us. Or we had babysitters that they had. So it was kind of like a safe environment as far as um, I can remember. And um, I can't think of anything really uh, how to describe the reservation except that it's just... It wasn't, it wasn't like there were skyscrapers or anything. It was just like living in a remote area that was calm, safe. You know, you could climb the trees and you knew everybody kind of, kind of thing. So that's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, no, and if anything, there are different reservations here in the United States, but I, I know the big one <clears throat> is the Navajo Nation. And I know with what you had mentioned with some of your siblings that you grew up and then also with your parents, what were, I guess from your point of view, what were some of the things that you guys used to do together as a family? Mm, on weekends, my dad had horses um, up in the mountains. He had cattle and he had, um, his mom had sheep. I don't, I don't even know how many sheep she had, but um, he grew up where they would butcher sheep almost every weekend and we would go up there we'd all jump in his truck and we'd have fun sitting in the back um and go up there the roads weren't really paved up there they were dirt roads but we had fun and we'd go up there and my dad would you know ride horse or make sure that his horses were okay and his cattle and and my grandma and well mostly the women they would butcher and us kids would be the ones that would have to help um take care of uh um, providing um work that you know like uh, I, don't, I, I don't know how to say uh after they'd butcher the sheep you know the body parts and all that i we had to hang it over the trees or whatever i mean not like in a gothic way but if you <laughs> if you've never had a butchered sheep you know you just uh, hanging over the they had these posts that they would hang like we'd stand there and the fat from the sheep my my grandma cooked it a certain way and the intestines and all that we had to clean all that out and you know we were we were watched when we did stuff like that but other than that um if it was a good horse a tame horse they would let us ride them and you know sometimes we'd go up and we'd herd sheep 
we'd we'd go up and we'd take the sheep out and then come back in the evening. It was just kind of like a fun time where we just spent time together as a family. And there was no electricity up there in the mountains, but my my grandpa had a generator going, and he would always um, turn that generator on. And uh, every morning and every night, he would read the Bible to us, and then we'd all go to bed and start the next day. And it was fun because we had to haul water. He had these big barrels that he would um, take the water down, and he'd fill it up, and he'd bring it back. And... During the summer, when there was too many of us there, they would send us down, and we had to go bathe in the down there in the in the river, and then we'd come back. And as far as shampoo and stuff, my grandma would make us um, wash our hair with the the root of the yucca plant, and our hair would stay clean, really clean and shiny for a long time. But that was kind of um, how our weekends went and time that we spent together as a family and I think my brothers and my brother and my sisters sometimes when we would be together we'd laugh about certain things that we did but we didn't you know go to like ballparks or you know see dinosaurs and stuff like that we just we just had fun together in the mountains it was nice other than that we would go to my mom's family down in Chinle and same thing, you know, she had cows and my grandma would drive us out there and she would count her her cattle and then she would come back and my grandpa had a big old, um, I don't know how many acres of land and he would plant and we all had to help. He had corn, he had, oh my gosh, acres and acres of corn and he had um, tomatoes, onion, not onions, but potatoes and Gosh, he had so many things. I just remember always picking green beans and we'd be sitting out on the porch and we'd be getting corn. And I remember my grandma was really good with a, a slingshot. My mom's mom, she she could chase those uh, crows away. And it was, it was just like we were busy all the time. And we didn't know we were actually working, but, you know, we were having fun at the same time. So that time that we were working it didn't seem like it. it seemed like we were just having fun and those are memories I'll never forget as a family growing up and I can honestly say growing up <clears throat> in a time where there's technology I, I can I can say that not many people still do those type of things let alone being out and about in the wilderness or camping or just in general just being outside so if anything Diane so from your childhood you pretty much had a very good close I guess cohesiveness with your family a good group you guys did a lot of stuff together and then I guess as you got older so from your childhood all the way till you got into high school how did that whole process look like was everything the same did you get along with everybody or was was it just how you said everyone still got to like to hang out with each other mm, well my dad died uh, when I was Oh, 15. He died in a, on April 12th, 1974. And I was in the process of getting married um, to my kid's father. Uh, my dad was, he gave me away, I remember that, um, to be married. And um, he, he died in April. I got married in February, February 23rd is when I got married. But I was also like six or seven months pregnant with my oldest child. And 
my dad told my kid's dad that he wasn't going to leave me. It was kind of like a shotgun wedding. <laughs> he says, you're not leaving her. You're going to stay and you're going to take care of her. And he he didn't mind, you know. He was 17, I was 15. And we stayed together like, I'd say, 19 years legally. But we were together two years prior. So we kind of met. And um, I was like maybe 12 or 13. I was in junior high, I think. And that's how we met, him and I. But then we didn't see each other again for a while, and we finally met up again when I turned 15 because my older sister um, married his older brother. So we ended up back together. And when my dad died, it seems like everything changed. You know, he was no longer in the picture, and um, my mom just kind of kept working. She, she never gave up on her job. She just hung in there. She worked for the BIA for a long time, I think. She retired as a BIA worker. And she's the one who tried to keep us together as a family. And um, the kid's dad, he was drinking at the time. And I was not really too familiar with the drinking. I never liked drinking. Um, but I ended up drinking because of a lot of the abuse that I went through from the alcoholism on his part. You know, there was, it was just like really dysfunctional in our family, you know. I didn't have my dad there to protect us uh, from any of that. And I wasn't really too, I didn't, we didn't know what to do because we didn't really have drinking in the home. The only one that drank was my grandfather. But he was, he was the type that would drink and then he would come back, you know, walking up the road because he you know, lost his truck or couldn't find it or, you know, he'd be walking up the road and we'd all be running because we were scared, you know. We knew he was drinking and he acted different when he was drinking. So we didn't really understand what alcoholism was. We just knew that we had to run when we saw him coming like he was Godzilla or so. But for me, it was like uh, it got to the place where I started drinking more and more. I didn't like it, but I I, I end up becoming an alcoholic, and that's the reason why I I don't drink now, but I end up drinking when I didn't really want to. It just helped me to tolerate a lot of the abuse, a lot of the infidelity, a lot of the, the fighting, because I was scared of him, you know, and he got really violent when he was drinking, and I didn't have anybody really there to help me, and um, I don't know, I just, it just, looking back, I just, I think there's a lot of things I could have done, but I didn't do because I was too scared, so. And if, and if anything with, so kind of just going like backtracking as far as with what you mentioned growing up, and then as far as with when you got older, and you and your siblings, and then when you met your husband at the time and everything that kind of transpired from there did you ever feel that when you were drinking and when you were going through some of those things that there's this stereotype of natives that everyone assumes that and, and by this stereotype I mean everyone thinks when they hear a reservation or when they hear of a native they always assume oh well yeah you guys drink a lot you guys are drunks you guys do all this did you ever feel like that was something that kind of came about during that time when you were drinking especially during that like it was a whole different time than when you were that age no I never 
I never thought like that because um, his side of the family, they drank. So he already assumed that was his role to act the way he acted, you know, because I think a lot of it was how his dad acted and his brothers. He comes from, he had like, I think 13 in his family, 10 of them were boys and the last three were girls. So it was a lot of fighting. And he was the one, I think, that tried to do things with his life, but he never did and he didn't know how. So when he met me, it was like, it was a different type of living a different way of maybe this is my way out of here but we were both young we were like kids we were kids playing house but we had real babies we had real problems we had all kinds of stuff and we didn't know how to deal with a lot of stuff we were going through and his way of dealing with it was drinking and then accusing me of all kinds of stuff but I didn't even know what I was being accused of even if I looked at somebody uh, or smile at somebody. He thought I was flirting with that person, and, and, and it would just cause a big old argument. So I never really knew. I, I was not, I don't know what I know now. If maybe if I was educated on that way back, um, I could have at least, I don't know, it sounds funny, but analyzed what was going on, you know, and, and said, well, he's he's acting out, he's jealous, you know. I never had labels for anything. I didn't know when I was sad, I didn't know when I was glad. I didn't know none of that, you know. I just knew what I felt. And it wasn't until after I started to sober up that I realized um, that a lot of the drinking, I drank because I wanted to numb those feelings, the sadness, the gladness, the, the the hurt, you know, it was a lot of my emotions I wanted to cover up. And I never really knew that drinking was doing that to me. So when I sobered up, I had to, and it wasn't until I went to a treatment center um, that I realized that that was what I was doing. So I had to learn to identify uh, what it meant to be happy, what it meant to be sad, what it meant to be, you know, insecure about something you know I, I I had to identify what je jealousy was and I got too used to being I think uh, protected when my dad was around and my uncles because they used to talk to us a lot and they were very encouraging they would tell us you know finish school and they, I had one uncle who'd always tease us, and he'd say, you know, don't get boyfriends. You're just going to end up having babies. And I thought it was funny, but it, it happened to me. So I realize now that um, I don't want my grandchildren to go through that. I, I put my own kids through a lot when I was drinking, and I never knew that until I sobered up. My kids actually took on the roles that everyone talks about. If you talk to... Uh, what do you call them, a, a counselor, they'll tell you each role a person plays. And it's true. It really is true. You know, your oldest all the way to the youngest, they all play a part in this dysfunction in the home. Um, I see a lot of it still going on. I see a lot of enabling. I see a lot of uh, grandmothers who take up for their grandchildren and say they never did nothing wrong when you know they did. Like, like my husband now, I'm remarried and we've been married 29 years. Um, 
I, when I, when his grandmother was alive, she would take up for him. She would tell me, oh, no, he's not like this. People say he's like this, but he's not like that. It wasn't until after she died I realized a lot of things about uh, my marriage that I was like, he is like that, you know? And I, I wouldn't tell myself, I mean, well, I wouldn't tell myself that he's not like that because she said it. I, I had to actually see it from my own, my own self and realize that he is like that. And I called him out on it a couple of times and he didn't like it. But I think that's just part of my sobriety is when, you know, you say things that you were too scared to say when you were um, using or I never got into drugs. I tried marijuana a couple of times, but I didn't like it because it took too long to come out of it. At least when you have a beer, you, at least you can come down from the beer and that's it. But marijuana took a long time for me, and I just didn't like the feeling. But I, I've learned a lot since that time, and, and I'm glad because it's been 36 years since I've had my last drink. And during that 36 years, I grew a lot. And I think I started to grow. It's like the, when I got married, I was married at 15. It's like once I sobered up, I became 16, 17, 35, 36 years, you know, is, is when I sobered up. So now I'm at that age, maybe. I don't know. I, my, my grandkids laugh at me because I like a lot of the songs that are on the radio. And I... I learn how to use Spotify so a lot of the songs I like I put it on there and I listen to it when I'm going down the road and these are songs that my grandkids like and they're like eighth grade ninth grade and they smile and they say grandma you like this song I'm like yeah I like this song and they say oh cool but that's how I feel now about about my past you know I'm, I think if I never went through it if I never you know realized and if I had never quit drinking I don't think I'd be here today I don't I, I think God had a purpose for this whole thing and and a lot of times we make these uh how would you say plans for our lives but it doesn't go through and I can't take the credit for it all when I went to a couple of AA meetings you know there's a 12-step program that you go by and it helped me a lot because it helped me identify a lot of what I felt. It helped me identify what I had to go through to forgive myself. And once I forgave myself, then I could go and I could forgive other people who had hurt me. And, you know, I could ask them for forgiveness. And it, it helped me to grow as a person. And, and a lot of it, you know, I didn't grow up like the Native way. Uh, it was around us. My grandmother tried a couple of times, but... Um, both of my parents didn't want us growing up that way. They, they they used to read the Bible. My grandparents read the Bible on both sides. And when I learned uh, a lot of verses that my grandpa used to say, especially when he was drunk, um, it's instilled in my mind. And I remember one time when I was... Oh, I, don't know, I don't remember how old I was, but I had a really bad hangover and... That verse came to my mind, and, and it's um, in Psalms, the book of Psalms. And it, it's um, in Psalms 51, and it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not 
casts me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit, Spirit from me. I was really, really down because I went on a drinking spree and I hadn't seen my kids for two weeks and my mom had my kids and I was on the ground crying and I remember that because my grandpa used to say that a lot and I really thought God was going to take that away from me that peace that I used to have when I was younger and everything that I went through in my marriage I didn't want I didn't want that taken from me and I thought I was going to be cast into hell and I was going to be all kind of you know, tortured for the rest of my life and I think it was then that I really realized I didn't want to drink anymore I realized God gave me a life and that there was a purpose for it. I'm married now to a, a different man who's so different from my first husband. My first husband was a big mouth and he, he would, you know, say all kinds of things. But this guy, he's real quiet. And I can't figure him out. And I don't want to figure him out. I'm realizing that all the years that I put into trying to make a person happy I've forgotten about myself and the only conversation I have intimately is with God and I talk to him I still talk to him I pray and I I, I don't trust a lot of people I don't tell them things because they repeat it and the only people that I really really focus on now is my grandkids and I'm lucky that my my kids still love me. My girls love me. I put them through hell, but they love me. And they're, they're always taking care of me. You know, they help me when I need it. And I don't deserve that. But God thinks I do. So, some of you who don't, you know, if you're out there using, there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to... It, it might be a turning point where you're just going to realize and it may be when you, you know, the people that you want to say you're sorry to, they're no longer here. But don't wait too long. Um, now that I'm sober, I'm taking care of me. And I have a lot of health issues. A lot of it I know is from the drinking. A lot of it's from my work. Um, a CNA. I was a CNA for 11 years, and it's back-breaking work. It's hard work, but I did it, and I did it because my grandparents. Um, I wanted to take care of them when they both were put in a nursing home, but I couldn't. I tried with my grandpa, and it drove me crazy. I could only last. I lasted two weeks, and I, I said, "Put him in a home," because I went crazy. And I think, to me, taking care of the elderly, it it's it's like almost I don't know how you would say it. it's not a tribute but it's it's like uh, giving back to my grandparents and I hope they see that but um I hope you get something out of this you know um I'm not I'm not uh 
I just hope he gets something out of it. You know, Diane, <clears throat> I think when you when you talk about these type of things, especially anything related to some form of addiction or anything that anybody out there listening to is going through, like Diane said, there's a there's a turning point in your life and there's a time when stuff will start to wake you up. And it's the choices you make going forward, whether or not you go left or you go right. And in my experience, and even just in general, you know, life happens and things come about that help transpire those things. And I know for a lot of people out there, it's easy to it's easy to push the blame on someone else or to say this is why I couldn't be here because of this or because of this person or because this is what was missing. And I think with you, Diane, telling your story as far as with what you went through from growing up to what you experienced from what you talked about with your relationship and then even with what you went through when you started drinking, I think that's a testament to show that we're human beings and we all experience things in a different way. And I think one of the things, if you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, that you referred back to is something that everyone has to have some form of values. Everyone has to have some form of belief in something because when things do get tough, that's the real test. That's the question that everyone will ask, why me? Why am I going through this? Or why did this happen? Or why is this something that had to happen now? And I know in life, that's the reality. We don't know when or where. And from what you just shared, it's good to be self-aware about those things, to understand that the mistakes you made and even from what you put your family through, you're able to still keep going because it could have just been easy for you to be like, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But that's the beauty of it. You made a choice and you talk about your family and look at how many grandkids and how many siblings and all these things that you have and family wise. I mean, I think that kind of brings it up to the next question as far as with with everything that you've gone through and everything that you've experienced. How do you want to be remembered? Mm, I want my uh, I want my grandkids and my kids to remember me as um, not my words. Uh, I could say cute things and they can remember me and all that, or I may have made maybe the best fried bread. <laughs> but what I want is them to remember what made me strong. You know, uh, verses from the Bible really helped me. Uh, even in a time when you feel like you're in a hole and you're looking up and you're like, how can I get out, you know? And that's when, for me, I realized that God was my answer. And I want my grandkids to realize that, you know, because this world is changing. It's it's changing fast, and people don't care. And I see a lot of um, even... Um, People that sing and and go to concerts, the crowd themselves, they don't care and they're starting to throw things at them. And I'm like, what? Back then, you know, way back, you know, you watch uh, shows and, and, and people were respectful. They dressed nice when they went to concerts. It's not, it's not like that no more. And I think a lot of it has to do with your upbringing. You know, if, if you're taught to disrespect, then you will disrespect even in public, and I want 
my grandkids to realize that regardless of what they do, even if they feel like nobody's watching them, you know, God's watching you. And I'm not trying to say it in a way where the boogeyman's going to see you and all that. It's not like that. I just want them to know that, you know, God is God is there whether you need him or not. And he always will be. I won't be here forever, but I know God will be. And that's what I want my grandkids to know, my kids. Because I see see my kids as strong, strong people. And I want them to teach their kids that. Now I have great-grandchildren. I have four of them. And they're all tiny and they're just cute, you know. And it's just like blessings, blessings just keep coming. And I always say I don't deserve it, but I think I think I have to receive these blessings, you know, because... I'm just glad I'm sober, that's all. And then to kind of finish up on this interview and then uh, with the last question that I have. So with everything that you've shared and even with what you talked about growing up from your childhood to what you experience going through, you know, your relationship and then where you are right now. If you had the opportunity to go see your younger self, what type of advice would you give? Don't do it. You know, um, I, I was curious about a lot of things when I was young. And if I were there when I was young and I could tell myself these things, I'd say, don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't go with him. Um, kids, uh, the kids' grandpa, the guy I married. You know, I should have never, I should never got involved with him because I got accepted at IAIA um, to go to school there, college, go on. And he didn't want me to go. I wanted to be an art teacher. At the same time, I wanted to be a lawyer, but he didn't want me to go. So I gave that up for him and I regret it so I would I would tell myself back then you know don't do it just go to school that's what I would have said so in closing on this and those of you listening I do want to thank you for the time that you have to listen to this and understand that what was shared is in all reality what a lot of people do go through and i think in general this is something that if you're listening you can you know that it can be done and you know that a lot of stuff that people go through on a day-to-day there's always some way of getting out of it there's always some way to figure out and you don't have to accept the things that you're going through it just starts with that first step and i think with hearing diane's story kind of gives you that good idea and also paints a picture of what a person can go through and then also where they are right now. So anything, last words, Diane? I pretty much said a lot, but I just hope that somebody out there can kind of relate to what I'm talking about, especially for a female. Um, I know maybe some guys have gone through worse, but for a female, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's just, you know, something that 
if you're out there listening or maybe you know somebody like that, you know, encourage them. Be there, you know, listen to whatever they have to say and try and help if you can. That's it. So if anything, that's today's episode. Don't forget to go like and share and also follow and keep up to date with any new episodes that are coming. And also don't forget to follow our social media page on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Have a good one.